This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Don't say the word. You know, the Paul Daniels, great Suprendo, Penn and Teller word. The third round of the FA Cup was absolutely great. Upsets, non-league sides still in the competition. Some lovely goals, some great reminders of players you'd completely forgotten about. Most dramatic came at Villa Park. Two goals in the last two minutes, giving League Two Stevenage victory on Saturday. Sheffield Wednesday and Josh Windus beat Newcastle and non-league Hollywood's Wrexham won at Coventry. While fellow National League sides Chesterfield and Boreham Wood earned replays and there's victory for Blackpool A over Nottingham Forest B. In the All-Premier League ties, Manchester City humbled Chelsea. How much pressure is there now on Graham Potter? At Anfield, surely you can't expect the VAR cameras to cover the whole pitch while Manchester United are comfortable winners over Everton also today Gianluca Vialli a wonderful footballer and a wonderful man everybody loved him and we'll pay tribute to him all that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly on the panel today Jonathan Wilson welcome morning how are you doing I am very well hello Barry Glendenning hello Max Rushton and hello John Bruin hello Max Rushton Andrew says, on a scale of the Salem witch trials to Merlin the wizard, how is the magic of the cup doing? YP says, how much magic is acceptable before the FA Cup is rebranded as the Hogwarts Cup of reverses and giant killings? It was a great weekend, Baz, wasn't it? Yeah, I always enjoyed the third round of the cup, um, even if uh, trying to cover the 30 games today is going, it's always a bit tricky. Um, trying to remember who scored what in which game and when. Uh, but it was splendid this weekend. Some brilliant upsets. Uh, not sure which one is top of the pops for me. I'd probably go Stevenage over Villa, but plenty to choose from. And um, yeah, I, I love the FA Cup and I, I do get annoyed when managers don't take it seriously, even if I completely understand why some of them don't take it seriously. When I was a kid, and I, I say this every year, but when I was a kid, that was the competition you dreamt of winning, or certainly the one I dreamt of winning, or scoring the winner in an FA Cup final. Dan says, can you spend as much time as possible talking about Stevenage, please? It's not a question we've had before. Uh, not often I get to hear them talked about on the pod. And, and Wilson, Villa might have thrown it away, but what an absolutely brilliant five minutes for those Stevenage fans at the away end. You know, to just get your breath back, you know, after scoring the penalty and then win it at the death. I can't think of a better way to cause an upset. Yeah, because there's almost no anxiety. Actually, I don't know. Maybe the anxiety is part of it. 
Yeah, that that thing of being one nil up with twenty minutes to go and sort of you know, you're never getting in their half. Every time you get in their half, you sort of think, oh, three, four seconds of respite. Maybe that is part of what you live for. But that's, yeah. It, it, I mean, I only saw the highlights. I was watching the um, City-Chelsea game. So, I, you know, highlights is very hard to get a sense of the flow of the game or anything. But to to, to be on a high like that, having equalised, and then within three or four minutes to, to, to get the winner as well. And the winner sort of came from nothing, right? It was... It wasn't a particularly dangerous position, and suddenly it's gone in at the near post, and it it shouldn't have been a goal, really. Is you know Villa are kind of wondering how that's happened, but yeah, not even having to go through a replay, straight in the fourth round, and 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 well, well, you know, well done to them. Producer Joel writing, what I'd give to be in the manager's office as Unai pours Steve Evans a, a glass of red wine. <laughs> yes, uh, fair to say they represent very different hemispheres of the uh, managerial community, don't they? Um, oh, Steve Evans, uh, well, he's one of those people, say what you like about Steve Evans, uh, and many people do, uh, but he's a guy that, on things like FA Cup down, third round day, you, he appears and he gets results, and at a certain strata of football, he's quite an effective manager. Um, and also, uh, there was a link, of course, with... Aston Villa's World Cup winner, Emmy Martinez, who played for Steve Evans at Rotherham. So that was quite nice. Stevenage were, were pretty praising of Villa's sportsmanship. Um, they might have been praising of uh, Leander Dendonka's <laughs> committal of, um, well, the act that pretty much turned the game. Um, just watching the post-match interviews uh, between the two goal scorers, they both seemed very confused over to who'd scored which goal. Such was the flush of... <laughs> <laughs> excitement it, it, yeah I mean listen I suppose that was the FA Cup shock that came last of all wasn't it over the weekend and that was probably the best of all Villa haven't won an FA Cup game in seven years Barry I mean you sort of talk about I mean we had loads of questions from Villa fans so you know Will saying Villa fan here feeling nauseated why do managers think fans would rather finish 12th in the league than try and win a cup but you know Villa still should have beaten Stevenage and and actually with this side and really they were going to beat them until Dendonka and then they all switched off at a corner should have beaten them, yes. And managers want to give fringe players who don't get selected very often a run out, uh, just to I suppose make them feel involved and to run the rule over them. But teams like Villa should be going all out to try and win the FA Cup because they're not going to win anything else. And yeah, fans enjoy their teams going on good cup runs, so. Teams that are going to finish mid-table should be throwing everything at the FA Cup. Uh, I thought Villa's performance was very insipid. They, they offered little going forward and um, they deserved to lose. And, and that, <laughs> well, both goals they gave away were criminal. I mean, the, the short corner uh, for the Stevenage winner was, the, the marking was non-existent. They, they were caught out by a team who were, 59 places behind them in the league. And to go out of the FA Cup third round as a Premier League side eight times in a row is disgraceful. And now I, I do appreciate they haven't always had the kindest of draws, but as we, we saw at Villa Park yesterday, they they should be capable of causing a few upsets. And, and they've certainly been knocked out by teams they should have beaten. So yeah, eight consecutive losses is, is dreadful. Robin Cowan was on commentary, friend of the pod. She did at Stevenage when Stevenage scored the winner reference the magic of the cup. Should we give her a one pod ban 
or <laughs> do we think do we think it's acceptable? I'll let Wilson decide. Oh no, John, you can decide. You're you're keen to. You're keen to. You've got a vendetta against Cowan. <laughs> no, I, I definitely don't have a, a, a vendetta against Robin. But what what I would say uh, is that um, in in a, a few a many moons ago, when I had a career, uh, I once sat in a brainstorming meeting for a TV company when we tried to come up with a different phrase than "magic of the cup." Oh wow! For what purpose? What purpose? Well, it was felt that, as you've alluded to, the magic of the cup is is a jarring cliche, and we needed something else. Uh, and uh, it, they came up with, and I'm not, sure, I don't think it was me that came up with, and I'm not sure even I was in the the brainstorming meeting where this came. But the cup of dreams was what yeah. I came up with. Yeah. So it's like magic and dreams. Are they are they similar? Sort of. You know, it's in that same sort of yeah sphere, isn't it? Well, it was the Cup of Dreams at Hillsborough, Wilson, for Sheffield <laughs> Wednesday, as they beat Newcastle 2-1. And Sheffield Wednesday deserved this much better in the second half. Newcastle's first defeat since the 31st of August. They made a lot of changes, missed a lot of chances, but take nothing away or take something away, but not much away from Darren Moore and Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, I mean, they, they fully deserved it. I, I sort of think it's a, it's a bit of a cheap excuse for Premier League club. To, to say, oh, yeah, we, we needed to rest players. Sheffield Wednesday is second in, in League One. Sheffield Wednesday's need to get out of League One and get into the Championship is far greater than Newcastle's need to finish in the top four. So, oh, yeah, I don't watch Sheffield Wednesday every week. I did see them in the playoff semi-final last season when, when Sunderland, another team from the North East, actually beat them. So, Sunderland, the, the last remaining North Eastern team in the, uh, in the FA Cup this season, was just, just uh, yeah, a, a random fact I thought, I thought I'd drop in. But no, Sheffield Wednesday were, were really good. They, they fully deserved it. Yeah, Newcastle might think they're a bit unfortunate that the opening goal was, was offside. And, and yes, I know Newcastle's goal was more offside. But obviously that first goal does change the dynamic of the game. Um, but yeah, Josh Windass scored two goals, had the free kick to hit the bar. Uh, you know, really exceptional sort of front-running performance. Sheffield Wednesday looked look decent, I thought, in League One last season. And the fact they're second this season and can play like that, I, I think yeah, they, they, they probably should be in the championship. I think Gimmarish's goal might have actually been onside when really? I watched another replay. But yeah, I know, it looks totally offside. I might be making that up, but, you know. Played on by whom? It was headed on by Chris Wood, wasn't it? A near post flick. Yeah, I think one, I think the Sheffield Wednesday left back or something is just pushing up a bit late. Yeah, Nigel Worthington's pushing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, as Barry said. 35 years late. <laughs> <laughs> um, lots of misses from Newcastle, of which Chris Woods was the greatest, Barry. Yeah, um, he had a glorious chance to equalise at the near the end and... After excellent work by Joel Linton and shot hopelessly over the bar. It was, it was reminiscent of Harry Kane's penalty against France, I've got to say. But um, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, and I, I'm struggling to remember goals from this weekend, but I think that's his second bad miss in uh, a couple of games. He's uh, clearly confidence is low, and uh, he seems to be becoming an increasingly peripheral figure at Newcastle. Um, but I suppose he served his purpose, uh, and he may come good again. But I, I would imagine he'll probably be moved on at some point. It's a bit bleak, isn't it? When, when, when will you have served your purpose? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
I mean, Chris Wood can have other purposes. Chris, Chris Wood like. can go and be very useful elsewhere. I don't think <laughs> once I'm gone from here, I'm a beaten docket. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, notable mention for the Wednesday keeper, Cameron Dawson, who also had a, a, a brilliant yeah, game. That's, uh, so well done to Sheffield Wednesday. Non-league corner, three non-league sides in the hat or now out of the hat, but, you know, because the draw has been made scandalous, obviously, that it's not on a Monday afternoon with a velvet, velvet bag and Bert Miller chip. Um, the the greatest performance was Wrexham's, John. 4-3 win at Coventry, and you were there. I was, I was, yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, the, the cup of dreams indeed. Uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> do you know what? It was it was a really, really good game. Um, and uh, it, it just it, it, it went this way and that. And, uh, you know, uh, Wrexham... Uh, were three one up at one point cruising, uh, and you know the, the, then there was a, a sending off, and you just thought, that, and then what happened was that the championship team with greater fitness, greater know how, come back into it, and run them very close. But I suppose we're talking about Wrexham here, and the, the, it's not an elephant in the room, but we know that they are a well funded club, and I suppose it just shows you the the way football is, and I suppose. Jonathan would tell you that it has always been this way since the days of Alf Common. Uh, it's about money. Now, Coventry, a championship club, uh, they're within touching distance of a playoff position. They've got a fine manager in Mark Robbins, who uh, in post-match I found to be a very impressive, honest character. Um, you know, I'd last encountered him when he was playing for United 30 years ago. Um, and, But, of course, Coventry are a club with not... What's the phrase? Not a pot to piss in. Uh, and Wrexham, uh, they've got a player, Paul Mullen, who you know, I, I, I know, who, who looked excellent. And it is a club from three divisions below, beating Coventry, a shock. Well, no finances sort of suggest that it sort of isn't. True, I, I, and I agree with you. And there is, you know, in the National League, there is animosity against them. And I guess Chesterfield will get on to. have got money, I think Stockport as well. And obviously nobody likes the money bags teams. But, Barry, you know, to our knowledge, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney don't have a terrible human rights record. You know, like like it's all relative, isn't it? Well, Deadpool can be quite unpleasant at times, but <laughs> his heart is in the right place. Uh, no, I've I've watched and thoroughly enjoyed the the Wrexham documentary. I totally understand that fans of other uh, National League clubs would be resentful of their wealth, but the two boys seem to be doing lots of good work in the community. They're not trying to launder their own image uh, that I'm aware of uh, because their images don't need laundering. They're very wholesome, nice guys, as far as I can tell. As for this game, I, I would argue that this is the perfect game of football. You've got seven goals, one team wins 4-3. You've got a penalty, a red card. You Someone scored from a free kick. Uh, the woodwork was hit a couple of times. There was uh, some brilliant saves. And uh, I thought Wrexham were brilliant. I thought Coventry were brilliant. It was just a, an absolutely textbook, perfect game of football. I mean, to make it just slightly better, you just needed the Coventry keeper to connect the corner that the Wrexham keeper flaps at and he comes <laughs> in right at the end and doesn't quite make it. Mentioned the Deadpool. Uh, yeah, and I, I should, as grim as the former Rico Stadium is the staff are very nice and I had a nice chat with the security guard about the Deadpool films, which I haven't seen and he had, but he recommended to me. So, yeah. I mean, the thing is, 
Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney could come and sit next to me on my sofa right now, and I still wouldn't recognise them. So uh, you'd be asking some questions, so right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I w- I would recognise them, but I'm incapable of telling which one is which. <laughs> I had to write a, a a feature article on on their documentary, and I kept getting just it was just it's like um, I have I'm incapable of distinguishing the Brentford Wolves and Brighton goalkeepers. They're all the same person. (laughs) (laughs) Random Spaniards. (laughs) But I can't, I don't know which one is which. Anyway, well done to Wrexham. And uh, nice to see Ben Tozer's enormous throw in a big, you know, long throws. Absolutely tremendous. And they really attack it well. They attack it sort of in waves. It's sort of like a battlefield. Yeah, extraordinary. Um, Chesterfield three, West Brom three. Heartbreak, Wilson. For Chesterfield at the death. Yeah, and yeah, Chesterfield's heartbreak in a 3-3 draw, conceding late goals, is is part of the traditional magic of a cup. Um, and I think <laughs> really especially you know, given that um, Thomas Asante should have been sent off um, you know, two minutes earlier. And that, I guess, is, is where you get into this question of, is it right that some ties have far and, and some don't? But yeah, I, I, I think Chesterfield have every right to feel... I think the penalty that they, they had the appeal for, I think I, I can understand why that wasn't given, but clearly Tom Santo should have should have been sent off and then for him to be the, the bloke who gets the winner must feel very guess equaliser, sorry, must be must feel very cruel. Are you Wilson, are you exercised by VAR being in some games than others? I, I I must admit it doesn't get my heart racing. No, I I think some referees are better than others, and so you have good referees at some games and, and worse referees at others. You know, if you've got VAR, you should use it. Yeah, I, th- I think that the it feels frustrating when you have an example like this where VAR clearly would have picked that up and he would have been sent off. But what's the alternative? You can't afford, you know, nobody's got the money to put that in every stadium. I don't even know if it's possible to put VAR in certain smaller stadiums, whether they've got the facilities to do it. But you know, the alternative seems to me absurd to kind of say, well, we'll just we'll turn it off at the big grounds. So there's this sort of scandalous decision. And yeah, actually, we, we've got the VAR. We, we, we can show you that this decision was terribly wrong. He was 15 yards offside, but we, we're just not allowed to show it. I mean, that, that seems a worse situation than, than having it at some and not at others. Boreham Wood won, Accrington Stanley won. I mean, the notable part of this uh, game was uh, the goal from Boreham Wood, Barry, scored by Lee and Love. And both of us have tried to find out if that is Peter and Love's son. And we, we, can't, we don't have confirmation. No, um, I, I was researching this on Friday because I, that's how empty my life is. <laughs> and I, just, I at least waited until he scored a goal before I yeah. researched it. But it's a, it's a relatively common name, isn't it, in Zimbabwe? Because it means elephant, I think, and love. And love reminds me of Ray Stubbs. Do you remember this? Absolutely, yeah, of course. Yeah. Fantasy football. Peter and love. Which should probably explain to uh, younger listeners, <laughs> Peter and love was a, a long-term... Coventry City striker. Well, I think he played for other clubs as well, but I remember him as a Coventry striker. Sheffield United as well. I think a brilliant player. Brilliant player on his on his day. He was one of those players, wasn't he? On his day, he could take apart anybody. But sometimes it wasn't his day. I think was a fair description. But look, what well to them? They're in. They're in the fourth round draw, and you know they've had a good little run in the last few years, haven't they, Boreham Wood? Uh, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin with Blackpool's win over Forest. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. 
so they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Blackpool 4, Forest 1. Uh, Blackpool third bottom from the championship. Steve Cooper made 11 changes uh, to the side that beat Southampton. So I guess, Jonathan Wilson, y- y- we spent a lot of time going, does Steve Cooper know what his best 11 is? Well, yes, he does now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I totally take the point that it's frustrating when teams like Villa, who I think realistically are not, uh, very unlikely to go down, when when they rest players for the, for the Cup, I completely get why Forrest would, when they've, you know, they've just begun this... This little surge of form, just taking them you know, away from the bottom of the table. I, I completely get why you don't want any distractions. And, and when you've signed 20 or many players in the summer, I guess it probably is still useful to to have a look at some of them in a, in a proper game. I don't think it was a 4-1 game. I, I think you know, three of the goals were, were pretty late, weren't they? But I mean, the player who st- stood out was uh, Ian Paveda, who you know, I'd seen a couple of times for Leeds. It always looked quite lively, quite useful. But I thought the, the way he sorted his feet out for that, was it the second goal? Um, I thought, yeah, you saw, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a real sort of level of class there. Um, now, I think he's a, a player who, from what you hear, is a, is a bit in and out. But but on his day, like, like Peter <laughs> would love, he, um, he is very, very effective. Um, Sam Surridge, who is, always looked good in the Championship to me, Barry. He, he, had, a, he had a day to forget, didn't he? Yeah, well, like Jonathan said, this wasn't a 4-1 game despite the scoreline. Forrest had more than enough chances to win it, and they just didn't take them, and Blackpool took theirs. And Sam Sturridge was the main culprit because he had three brilliant chances, which you would expect a striker of any sort of proficiency to score, and at least two of them, and and he missed all three. And uh, I, I don't think he gets too many opportunities to, to start for Forrest and, and now we we know why <laughs> on the evidence of that performance. He got into the positions, didn't he? He got in the positions to score the on another day he gets a couple of those. Let's uh let's turn our attentions to Crisis Club Chelsea, uh beaten four nil by Manchester City. Uh Owen says Chelsea fans since the eighties, I can't remember disliking a bunch of our players this much. Havertz, Ziyech, Pulisic, all reek of late 2010s Arsenal. One nine out of ten performance every 40 games. Milky and ineffectual at other times. It's grim and I don't blame Potter. I've never really heard Milky used in a sort of derogatory sense. Have you, John? Yeah, I, I, I always thought that Milky is, it's one that you say almost during a game. It's like, they've gone a bit milky. You know, it, it, as in that they've lost a bit of their zest. Uh, but, um, I know what he means. Uh, I can't work out Chelsea other than to think they're not having a good season, is all I can say. Alex says, how have Chelsea gone from Lukaku's the missing piece in the puzzle and Champions League 
uh, winners to is Reese James playing? No, okay, I won't watch this game in in eighteen. Months. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Phil Foden goal, which on the replay you see what a, you know beautifully carved uh, piece of footballing art that was. But when I was watching it, I just thought it was it would look so easy for City. I thought there must have been some sort of Chelsea intervention that they played the ball into. You know, there was a mistake, and it was it was just so easy. Um, and I I think all of us here are you know, advocates of Graham Potter, or certainly were during his Brighton tenure. But he seems seems to be struggling to get a tune out of that squad. Okay, there's a lot of injuries. Um, and okay, they're playing Manchester City, a team with such a deep squad. Uh, but that was a, a performance of surrender. Um, and I suppose the question is, is this a different Chelsea? Uh, because if it was the old Chelsea, uh, Graham Potter wouldn't be around for much longer. Well, if you look at the Manchester City bench yesterday, Phillips, Stones, Ake, Cancelo, Gundogan, Haaland, De Bruyne, Edison... Jack Grealish wasn't in the squad. He's their most expensive signing. And the Chelsea injuries, uh, Kante, Reese James, Wesley Fofana, Chilwell, Broya, Loftus-Cheek, Sterling, Pulisic. So there are mitigating... Uh, Aubameyang. There are mitigating factors. But what's worrying... I would be worried about... Brighton's big problem under Graham Potter is they could not score. And... Chelsea have scored three goals in their past seven games. Who's in charge? Graham Potter... Is there some sort of pattern? And when Thomas Tuchel took over Chelsea, and again, we, we've got to factor in the injuries they, they've got at the moment, he, he whipped them into shape and had them beaten Manchester City three times within his first four months. This Chelsea side, were, they're miles away from, from beating City. I mean, to be fair, earlier this season, when Potter was still there, they were scoring more than they were last season. De Zerbi, I think, is a more attacking manager. I think defensively, they don't look as solid under De Zerbi as they had under Potter. So, I mean, is De Zerbi more attacking manager than Potter? Yeah, clearly he is. Chelsea also struggled to score goals under Tuchel, when, particularly when the wing-backs weren't there or the, or the attacking full-backs weren't there. Yeah, I, I think last time I was on, I was talking about the stats when Rhys James and Chilwell don't play. That uh, I think they, it's 29% of the games they win without them, 80% they play together. So, I mean, that's a huge differential. And then you start to say, well, OK, clearly Aspilicueta was never as attacking a fullback as Reese James, and he's 33 and can't get up and down. Kukurea, uh, <laughs> who, he, who he mentioned before before the uh, the pod when you were, were surprisingly fascinated by his uh, past completion stats. But he, he's, he's, he's got some crisis of confidence. He doesn't look the play he did last season, just giving the ball away all over the place. Looks terrified whenever anybody runs at him. So the, the, the fullback options they've got are much, much weaker. But I, I think you, you can't look beyond the injuries. I think... They're such a big factor, and and I think on top of that, not necessarily the greatest recruitment in the summer. So both teams decide, okay, we're going to turn to to our sort of second string or at least half our second string for, for the FA Cup. For City, that means Phil Foden, who's barely started the game, barely, you know, he, he's had odd minutes even there since the World Cup. So Foden's become a backup player for City. Alvarez, who, who won the World Cup. Calvin Phillips, who cost them 60 million quid in the summer. Chelsea are picking Lewis Hall, who I saw his debut against Chesterfield last year when he was actually very impressive. But I'm not sure he's played since until last week. Um, the uh, Humphreys, the centre-back, he'd never played before. Hutchison, whose debut was on Thursday. 
yeah, that's a, a massive difference between a World Cup winner and an 18-year-old who's never played before. I, I get this concern over Potter. And I, I guess until he's proved at this level, there'll always be doubts of can he do it at this level. But equally, the, the hand he was playing yesterday is, is nothing like the hand that Guardiola's playing. All right, Larry says, if Graham Potter was not English, would there be more pressure from the media? Is this kind of like a reverse Sam Aladici? Is it, you know, like, does it, does it work both ways? Well, I, I think I think that's it's, it's not. I mean, maybe it is about him being English, but I think it's more that we've seen him in our league. We know he's a good manager because we've seen him for three, four years, however long it was at Brighton, being a good manager. So that's different to say Arteta. That's different to Arteta getting stick what, last year because he'd never managed before, right? Yeah, completely. Yeah, because we've 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 been to see Brighton play. We've written about them. We've we've talked to people around the game. We we know what he's done at Brighton. Well, whether it's somebody like Arteta who had no frontline you know, head coaching experience or whether it's somebody, uh, I don't know, like Marco Silva when he first arrived, you're sort of thinking, well, so you sort of think, well, how, yeah, winning, winning the Greek League with Olympiacos, is, how, how big an achievement is that really? Is that, does that qualify you to, to cope in the Premier League? Is that the same pressures? Do you have the same sort of week in, week out demands? I, 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 think, I think it is a different situation. There, there are questions over part of, you know, it is. I think they are different skills to manage a, a, a big six side and to manage a, a mid. Well, I mean, Brighton aren't even really a mid-table Premier League side if you look at history and budget. And, and the capacity to do one doesn't mean you can do another. But equally, if you're the the head of a of a multinational and you want to appoint a new CEO, yeah, there's three places you can look. You can either look within your own company, so maybe the bloke who's been running the Asian department or whatever. Well, football doesn't have an equivalent of that. You know, Chelsea are not going to turn to the bloke who's running the youth department. That's, that's clearly a different job. You can look to uh, CEOs and similarly sized companies in other fields, but you're not going to turn to Gareth Batty because he led Surrey to the county championship last year and think he can do a job at Chelsea, even though he wouldn't have to move house, which would be very convenient for him. Or you, you look at you know, slightly smaller companies in your own field. Well, that's what they've done. But there's always that question of, of can they step up? And, and, and until he does it, that question will always be there. And you can't get around that. You could give it to your child in, in this mythical uh, <laughs> big business that we, we're trying to find a new CEO for. Yeah, the FA are going to investigate alleged homophobic chanting by City fans during that win over Chelsea. comes a couple of days after the FA said it's speaking with Manchester United after chanting of a similar nature during their win over Everton on Friday, uh, which is equally disappointing, isn't it? Um, let's talk about uh, Gianluca Vialli while we're on Chelsea. Uh, died of pancreatic cancer, aged... Uh, just 58, no age at all, is it? Um, won trophies with Sampdoria before a world record move to Juventus. Um, came to Chelsea in 1996. First Italian to manage a top-flight English club. Uh, he won the FA Cup, the League Cup, the Cup Winners' Cup with them. Um, he was a delegation chief for the Italian side that won the Euros, headed by Mancini. There is that wonderful video of him and Mancini embracing afterwards. And it, it, it felt, Barry, like, we always say nice things about people after they've just died, but it does feel that everybody loved Viali. Like, like it didn't matter who you supported. He was just one of those footballers and one of those men that everybody loved. Sometimes you hear about uh, the death of a famous person you don't know and it's just like, oh, that's sad or, you know, whatever. But this is a real gut punch for me. I'd never met Gianluca Viali and when I heard he was, was ill, I was like... um quite shocked I, I hadn't realized he'd been ill uh and then so the news of his death and and it, yeah it hit me quite hard even though i'd never met the man but 
James Richardson always spoke very highly of him, and he was a a legend of the the Yacy Jimbo Syria uh, era. Um, and you know, I even got a text from my older sister who has no interest whatsoever in football. She was really sad to hear that Gianluca Vialli died. Um, and I suppose it must be incredibly hard for for people who knew him and loved him, but you could argue at least they knew him and loved him and they were lucky enough to do that. Uh, so obviously their their grief will be um, a lot worse than, than mine. Um, Antonio Conte clearly was devastated by, by the news. He, he excused himself, understandably, from his media duties ahead of the Spurs game. And, and that's three very close friends he's lost in recent months. Uh, in his fitness coach, Ventroni, Viali, and uh, Sinisa Mihailovic. So, yeah, our, uh, Viali was a terrific player and, and by all accounts, an absolute gentleman. So uh, it's, it's terrible news because 58 is, is no age at all. He was a brilliant player, Wilson, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that Sampdoria side that won the league, uh, yeah, it's one of the great stories. Yeah, that they sort of came from nowhere. Uh, to win it, uh, obviously him and Mancini up front, uh, and then his his last game for Sampdoria, I think, was the European Cup final when he had that volley chance late on in normal time against Barcelona. And I know he talked about how that that haunted him, and then he you know he did win the Champions League with with Juventus later on. Uh, but I, I think in, you know in terms of the Premier League, like people can argue about this, but he was he was certainly in the first wave of of great foreigners who who arrived, and I, I think to an extent, given that Janino was. On the way up, and I don't think was in any sense sort of a proven star when when he got to the Premier League. Given that Bergkamp had had his you know pretty rough time in Italy, although he he obviously was a you know, phenomenal player, uh, he you know he came without doubt because it hadn't worked from it into. There's a sense in which Viali was the first obviously at his peak foreign player to come to the Premier League. Uh, so yeah, you know he has a huge and you know Cantona. Obviously, again, a phenomenal player, but came with all these question marks because of his disciplinary record and everything. Whereas Viali was clearly brilliant when he arrived. My memories of Viali, I suppose, start. He, he was at a brief walk on part in the 1986 World Cup. Uh, and then seeing him in partnership with Mancini, who's his great friend, lifelong friend, Euro 88. And he, he, funny, Viali reminds me of that sort of sports night era. You know, when you catch European football. They did really well. I think uh, they win the Cup Winners' Cup. I think in nineteen ninety, uh, and then obviously they got to the European Cup final. Um, and Mamou actually is it, when they lost that game to to Barcelona. He was subbed off, and it's Barry Davis commentary. And Viali is sat on the bench. You know he's given everything, uh, and he takes on fluids. I remember Barry Davis saying he takes on fluids and how. And I'd never seen anyone drink as much water as quickly as that. And uh, actually, a, a personal memory, uh, during deepest lockdown in January 2021, I walked all the way from my house in Bethel Green down towards, uh, down towards one, which was actually not far from the Wilson residence. And who should I spot walking along the side of, of the river, down the Thames, but Gianluca Viali with a, with a little poodle, trying to remain incognito, but only Gianluca Vialli looked like 
Gianluca Vialli. Uh, yeah, and a little, you know, a shy smile because he obviously recognised that me and my mate had, had seen who he was. But yeah, obviously a great guy, uh, beloved by all, a brilliant footballer. And as Jonathan says, you know, a bit of a pioneer, someone who helped change the image of the Premier League. Um, and also for Chelsea, a pretty decent manager too. Uh, yeah, may he rest in peace. Uh, we'll move on with uh, the rest of the games from the FA Cup. Uh, Liverpool Wolves finished 2-2. It was a great fun game, actually, Barry. And, and we touched on VAR being in some grounds and not in others. VAR was in part <laughs> of this ground, but but not all of it. Yeah, it was a very entertaining 2-2 draw. Um, Julian Lopetegui felt quite aggrieved afterwards because I think he thought both Liverpool goals... Or no, he, he thought uh, Mo Salah's uh, goal should have been ruled out. I'm inclined to agree, but this is uh, one of those cases of, of the law being correct, but the law being an ass. And um, the, Wolves, uh, the Wolves goal that was ruled out was... Uh, I'm still not quite sure what happened. I know that there was a suggestion that Mateus Nunes was offside the second time he crossed the ball in. Um, or when the ball came his way after he'd taken a corner and VAR was incapable of deciding whether he had been or not, so they stick with the original decision. And I suppose if that's what they have to do, that's what they have to do. But um, I don't know whether he was offside or not. But yeah, whatever about having VAR at some games and having VAR at others, having VAR at part of one game but not <laughs> a different part of it seems slightly um weird and less than ideal what i quite like though is the idea that really really organized managers will find these bar black spots yeah. and they'll they'll tell place to loiter there so they, yeah, they can't pick you up so so like like when you're plotting a heist or something and where can the security cameras not get you yeah, I reckon. I reckon Sam Allardyce watched that and thought, "I want back in here." <laughs> I'll stick Pear Franson yeah, hiding in the game. corner yeah. quadrant. Just <laughs> pop up and no one will know. Well, I, I, I missed the first ten minutes of that game because I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't work out which channel it was on because it was on ITV Four. And it's bad enough when when teams are playing their reserve sides. <laughs> When TV stations are playing their reserve channels, what's that about? Well, actually, Wolves, I mean, Wolves, were, I thought, I mean, obviously unlucky with that goal. They played well. And Liverpool are in this sort of weird spot, Barry. And, you know, it was me, you, Jonathan, and I can't remember who else was, was it Philippe up in Edinburgh when you said Liverpool might not finish in the top four and we all spat our coffee across the room. They just don't look that great, do they? I think it was Glasgow, but... Glasgow, my apologies. I think the main point was here that... For once in my life, I may may have made what was like a quite uh, sensible prediction, and you're you're now arguing over the details <laughs> of where I made it. Well, it's a historic moment. We want to, yeah, we don't, we don't want, we don't want future generations to look back and go, hey, you know, there's there's conflicting accounts. Some people say it was Edinburgh, some say it was Glasgow. It probably didn't happen. <laughs> Always happened. Um, yeah, look, they're, they're they're not having a particularly good season. Uh, Jurgen Klopp is is you know things aren't going well because he's he's ratty and I believe he had a go at uh, our friend Nedum Anua after this game and asked, "Have you ever actually played football?" <laughs> I'd love to have heard the answer. Have you to played that the question. game? Yeah, do you know what? I, I haven't seen. I've seen I've people played at a much higher level than you have, boss. <laughs> yeah. Well, next time Nadum's on, we'll have to ask him because I saw a tweet about that, but I haven't haven't seen the footage. But I wonder what Nadum said to him. How how funny. I mean, meanwhile, John. 
Wolves plus Lobategui equals quite good. Yeah, I think he's done a really good job there. Um, and he's always had a reputation for being uh, a very cogent, careful manager. And uh, Nathan Collins, um, the Irish defender, was talking about how much work they put in after uh, during the World Cup break. Uh, and it's been brought to bear. Yeah, I, I think Wolves, uh, you know, if we're talking Premier League, uh, are going to pull themselves out of it because there's a talented squad there, a decent manager... On Liverpool, uh, now uh, I'm on a, a WhatsApp group of uh, Liverpool fans, uh, and uh, I, I didn't see this game as so, so, Do they do they know who you support, or are you in like the stealth VAR hole of that? Of that yeah, WhatsApp I'm group? just there for balance, I think. But yeah, uh, and um, and um, I uh, obviously I was driving back from uh, Coventry uh, during this game, just listening to it on the radio, uh, and uh, the amount of messages you get about Darwin Nunes, this guy is, you know. Love him or loathe him, you can't ignore him. Uh, the, the discussion of this bloke, he just creates conversation. The man is just, uh, he's a content-driving machine. It was a great goal. It's a yeah, but finish. even then they were talking about, well, yeah. did he shin it or what? But they well, just, they, yeah, he <laughs> shinned it. It's, it goes off the middle of his shin. It looks like a great finish. And he's a, you know, he's a much better volley of a ball than he is strike of a ball on the ground. But that came off his shin. It's very cultured shins then. I thought it was a side-footed yeah, volley. Oh, okay. The replay certainly makes it look makes it appear as just below his knee. Well, well done to him. Look, they, he needed one to go in <laughs> off somewhere, didn't it? So, 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 well done him. Uh, Man United beat Everton three-one. Um, I, I guess the big talking point, Wilson, is is Marcus Rashford's form. It's it's lovely to see. I presumably he's just not doing any nice things for people now. Yeah, yeah, he's just yeah, focusing yeah. on football. <laughs> he's started being a complete bastard, and so he can be good. Yeah, I don't want to bring this back to a, a familiar topic of conversation, but it does feel like a shadow's lifted from Manchester United recently. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just, you know, I mean, Rashford's form was was really good. Then Cristiano Ronaldo arrives, and his form is not good. And now Ronaldo's gone, and his form's good again. Um, so I, I just, I, I think occasionally you get a player who just clogs up the system, and that might be a tactical thing. It might be a personality thing. It might be both. But yeah, he he looks refreshed and liberated again. I thought he had a great World Cup, and he's you know been playing really really well since. And and uh, yeah, and it's 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 good to see because it, it's it's so easy for players to sort of just sort of drift away and you know I don't know something like Deli Ali who looked so good five or well, four and a half years ago, and and now you know just. You, a Premier League team just wouldn't wouldn't buy him. Forrest will buy him. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's good that Rashford has got it back, and that's not a given. No matter how talented you are, it's, it can go wrong. High point of the game, Barry, was um, David De Gea sort of turning into a jellyfish or something. Yeah, it was quite extraordinary, that gaff to, you know, they say you should never get beaten at your near post, man. So you certainly shouldn't get beaten like that. <laughs> that's <laughs> no, like something I would do, you know. It's it's. Well, you're, you would be holding onto the post just for balance, yeah, yeah. right? That's that was the funny part of it. it. Seems odd to be. Seems to be odd to use one of your hands for stability, like like their key part. I mean, De Gea uses his feet yeah, a lot. I, I don't know. Maybe he had a few pints before <laughs> the game. Possible. I'm going to. I'm going to say just you know. So the lawyers don't get anti. I'm pretty confident he didn't have a few points before that's, the game. But if that's what we get sued for, if we get taken to court by David De Gea for, for for jokingly suggesting he was shit faced before this game, big news, uh, John, in the uh, the world of getting it launched 
is uh, Wout Weghorst, uh, being heavily linked with a loan deal from Burnley to Manchester United. Yeah, yeah. It's it said that he uh, is begging to go, and, and why wouldn't you? Um, Eric Ten Hag from that Dutch school that we've talked about of liking to get it launched to the big man when they really have to. But um, interesting uh, because uh, it really didn't go well for him at Burnley, of course. Uh, and it was one of those, it was one of those signings that uh, you know your Euro shrewdies were like, oh yeah, Veghorst and Burnley, you know that that will really go well. Well, him and Sean Dyche didn't appear to uh, to go off well. I do wonder what he how he would have got had, would have done under Vincent Company, but perhaps we'll never know because uh, he is soon to become a Manchester United legend to match Eric Cantona and uh, and have that effect on the season. There was an interesting tweet by someone from the Athletic, or uh, saying, <laughs> you know, Vout Veghorst would, um, you know, the inside knowledge was Vout Veghorst would would uh, be texting Burnley players in the middle of the night to to make tactical suggestions and talk about partnerships, and then Ben Me replied, going, <laughs> "No, he didn't." <laughs> I, I, I was just wondering which players it was. You know, was it Ashley Barnes? Uh, I I'd so. love I'd love the idea uh, of Ben Me's phone cheeping in the middle of the night and he checks it and there's just a whatsapp message from about veghorst going get it launched <laughs> <laughs> well i suppose that's it yeah it, it's to the yeah it's to the defenders isn't it it's phil bardsley you know just saying <laughs> jay rodriguez's phone going off going you go near post yeah. i'll go far post yeah. like, it's, it's one in the morning Val. Just, Leave me alone, mate. Uh, anyway, that'll do for part two. Part three, we will begin with Burnley. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Bournemouth 2, Burnley 4. Awful weather, awful defending from both teams, but great win for Vincent Company, Jonathan Wilson. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think they're by some margin uh, the best team in the championship this season, Burnley. Uh, I mean, Sheffield United, I guess, might argue against that, but Burnley are really good to watch as well. They, uh, you know, they, they pass the ball really well, but they've got a real sort of presence, you know, a physical power about them. And, and, I, and this is one of those games where you look at it and you think, ah, yeah, but this is probably the the championship team going to win this just because of their form. At Bournemouth have lost five in a row now, is it? I think. And, and so, yeah, it wasn't a, wasn't a surprise they won, but I think the way they they played in winning and the quality of some of their, their finishing football that the defending was uh, at times laughable. Um, was 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 really impressive and showed what 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 a change that companies been able to affect at Burnley because it's not just that they're winning games now they're playing in a totally different way. Sort of get the impression that permanent Gary O'Neill isn't quite as good as temporary Gary O'Neill, but you know perhaps we'll touch on that um, when we the Premier League returns next weekend. Great game at Cardiff, Barry. Cardiff two leads two. Big needle match between these sides. Uh, I think it was on the more or less the twenty first anniversary of the time third tier there has been confusion over this whether Cardiff were in the second or third tier when they knocked then Premier League table toppers Leeds out of the cup in the third round at Ninian Park uh, I have checked they were in the third tier despite Robert Earnshaw saying claiming yesterday that they weren't uh, <laughs> Cardiff I will feel they threw this one away I suspect um, so that that win 21 years ago was sort of seen as uh, the first domino to fall in in the almost comically catastrophic decline of Leeds uh, from when they were living the dream to, to living the nightmare in the third tier in, in not too long. And uh, Cardiff went 2-0 up yesterday. We're cruising. 
and uh, then let Leeds back in the game. Leeds deserve credit for for rallying and and getting the two late goals, but I think Cardiff will feel this is one that got away from them. And I, oh, hats hats off to uh, Joel Bagan for his quite splendid save from uh, Junior Firpo. The the young lad dived, got his hand to it, and I was. I really thought he was going to get away with it. <laughs> but, yeah, me too. Because <laughs> there was no VAR, obviously. Um, it was interesting on Match of the Day, wasn't it? Like, Nadem, uh, I know who was on that, and he said, he's getting a bit mainstream, Nadem, isn't it? We sort of launched him and now he'll forget about us. But he was saying, do you, I'm not sure the ref, I mean, it was so hard to see in real time. Maybe the ref did see it, but like, the Leeds reaction was, it was obvious that that had happened. Um, but yeah, it was an absolutely brilliant save. Because I thought that the save at uh, Coventry had been a really good save, but that was even better than it. I thought it was a bit harsh. Didn't, no, was, his arms are out. There was a bit of disguise in it, though. There was a bit of disguise in that one. Yeah. yeah. But there's no disguise on his face no, if he'd done no, it, though. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> there's no, that ash in it. Oh, God. He took off his Sondico gloves <laughs> and said, <laughs> Anyway, uh, elsewhere, uh, Harry Kane's just one goal away from Jimmy Greaves' Spurs record. Uh, Spurs are through. Um, well done to Grimsby Fleetwood in Ipswich. Um, beating sides uh, in higher divisions. Two goals in injury time for Sunderland, uh, uh, who also gave a debut to Chris Rigg, who's 15. Craig says, Umbrella by Rihanna was number one on the day he was born. How old does everyone feel now? Oh. I, 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 I read that. I thought they said Chris Riggett. Yeah. I thought, hang on. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> Uh, Johnny Lou eviscerated producer Joel's hometown in his match report of Gillingham nil Leicester one. If Kent is the Garden of England, Gillingham is the unloved bit around the back of the garden shed consisting of a pile of bricks, a broken child's tricycle and several soaking cardboard boxes. Um, uh, Also nice to note that Shane Long is at Reading and one of the Keos is at Ipswich. Were there any others, Barry, of players that we'd... Not seen well. There was we we noticed that Scott Sinclair is at Bristol Rovers, but that was uh, Bristol Rovers, Bristol Rovers, but that wasn't a cup match. That was a league match. How old is he now? He must he must be nearly forty. Yeah, um, I do think I'm going to say thirty three. Really, thirty five. I'm going to say I think I saw him score the greatest goal I've ever seen scored live at Underhill. Oh, Plymouth. For Plymouth in I think 2002 when he was 17 so that would make him 37 no he's only 33 it's a point for me alright yeah. uh, 25th of March 1989 was his where's he been for the last decade <laughs> it was at Celtic oh he's at Celtic at, uh, uh, for ages um, fourth round draw has been made uh, Manchester City uh, will play Oxford or Arsenal who play tonight so yes, yeah, City not had it easy. City have now drawn Chelsea, Liverpool, Chelsea again and Arsenal in the domestic cup, says Sean. It's barely turned New Year. Who out, who's outbid them for the hot and cold balls? Uh, yeah, sort of about time that they had some difficult draws. But yeah, lots of Premier League sides going out. Could make for uh, an interesting uh, uh, competition later on. Um, other bits of business. Roberto Martinez in talks to replace Fernando Santos out of contract at Belgium. Since the World Cup, great opportunity, John, for Roberto Martinez to take over another golden generation. Well, I think this is the ultimate case of uh, a, a team going for an entirely different manager than the one before. Because Fernando Santos, you know, made Jose Mourinho look like Ozzy Ardiles. <laughs> <laughs> And now you've gone for Roberto Martinez, who, uh, well, um, 
he's ruined Wout Feist for the uh, for the season. Uh, but you know, do, do, you just wonder. Um, it's a joke, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and Martinez. Um, well, I have to say, uh, he's a good advocate for himself, isn't he? Uh, and that is a plum job. And uh, it's interesting that you know, after you know, being a, a, a reasonably successful manager, he's now moved into international manager for hire which is an interesting direction for him to go in. Do you not think he's just desperate to get himself out of the running for the Everton job? I think that's possible. <laughs> I think that's possible. Uh, I do wonder how many Jonathan Wilson articles he's been reading about Cristiano Ronaldo and what he will do about that. Or will he take the same approach he did to Eden Hazard and just play him anyway, um, even though he's clearly not able to play? There were lots of parakeets at Leighton Orient. Uh, lots of people got in touch about these. Lovely sort of... Um, flock of green birds just flying along. And Leighton Orient tweeted out, you're only here for the parrots, rings out. Today's attendance is announced. 7,402, 384 travelling fans and 50 parakeets. The tweet below made it all a bit bleaker. Fracker saying it was all very odd. They were flying very low in and out of the players at one point. Two of them ended up dead on the pitch. I'm not sure why, but it was clear they were spooked. We had a thunderstorm about 10 minutes later, so I guess it was something to do with that. If somebody with knowledge of parakeets and thunderstorms could get in touch to let us know. Uh, that would be great. Josh says, I'd just like to comment on Barry referring to Ian Rush as Mr. Goals, as one for the dads. I'm a father of two born in the 90s. Feel that Rush is far beyond my time and that he would more accurately be one for the granddads. <laughs> this is not me calling Barry old. I mean, it sounds <laughs> like it is, frankly. And Mike says, Stockley Park had its inaugural park run this weekend. Who would be the fastest referee around around the Stockley Park park run? Quite a few sort of buff referees sort of coming into the game. I've noticed sort of quite big, muscly ones. And I don't know their names yet. You know, so you, I think for a 5K, you, put, you sort of like a spindly one is more likely. Like Mike Riley in his pomp, I reckon. Yeah, Mike, Mike Riley looks like a, you know... Like one of those club runners yeah, you see yeah. on, a, on a Sunday morning. You know, a five k, you want a, you want a little bit of muscle though, don't you? It's like, I, 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 I don't think true. it's quite long enough to be. Yeah, but you don't want you don't want to be at Uriah Rennie levels. You don't want massive thighs, do you? I beat Uriah Rennie in the Great North Run one year. Did you? Um, yeah, I, I passed him when he was. <laughs> to be fair, I, I, he was doing an interview and I passed him, and so that might have helped. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> But of the current crop, I can't I mean that's hard to know, isn't it? I reckon Martin Atkinson's probably quite pacey, you know. What about the Aussie guy? The guy who gave the penalty for, for Leeds? Jared Gillett, yeah. I... Can Stuart Atwell be trusted to run in the right direction? That's the question. <laughs> but don't refs all sort of run in diagonal lines? <laughs> so, <laughs> somebody somebody did tweet they should they should all run backwards, shouldn't they? <laughs> Anyway, that's enough for today, isn't it? Um, uh, thank you, Wilson. Cheers, thank you. Thanks, Barry. Thanks. Thanks, John. Cheers, Rushton. It is the uh, Carabao Cup quarterfinals this week, so we'll be back on Wednesday and Thursday to look back at those. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian. 